So we've, uh, we've been taking opportunity uh, during this uh, like shelter in place, pandemic, whatever, COVID-19 thing. <laughs> uh, so many different things. We take an opportunity, uh, especially here at Aletheia, to expand the digital services that we provide. Um, so not just broadcasting our sermons, but we, you know, stepped up for time our podcast and the output that we've been doing uh, in that, uh, making sure to provide content so people don't feel uh, completely disconnected since we're not able to meet physically in the way uh, that we have before. And um, we obviously want to continue doing that. We praise the Lord that he started leading us down that path well before it was necessary for us to be producing content that way. And I would just ask for continued prayer in that prospect uh, as we have begun work on a dedicated area and space to set that up. And I would also, you know, just ask for your support of that as we continue to help grow that ministry. As we continue to talk about... Um, well, right now, we're, I mean, we're talking about uh, relationship. We're talking about investing in relationship with others. We've spent time looking through this year about what, uh, what we've been blessed with, what we've been given, um, all under the umbrella of uh, coming to, to that overall discussion. And that overall discussion is sacrifice. Um, the way that we continue to be able to, um, to do that is basically through uh, people's hunger for the word and through the ability that we have to, you know, do things like broadcast our sermons. So people, you know, uh, 300 miles away can uh, tune in to that. So I would ask that you support that, uh, that uh, that possibly be one way that you look to sacrifice. Uh, as we continue to reach out and try to build relationship, um, it, it'd be appreciated. Um, with that said, I would like to go ahead and continue the discussion I've been having for the past couple of weeks with you um, that all stems with uh, coming at your relationships under a new perspective. Uh, that new perspective is, uh, obviously, it's, 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 when you talk about perspectives, right, it, it changes how you think. It's not just... Uh, some people say, well, how you see things, or uh, I've used the terminology, the lens that, uh, that you look at things through. And we've talked specific, specifically about um, having that lens that we look through things through be that the helmet of salvation, right? The, the, uh, the armor of God, the, the helmet of salvation. So starting to think, um, to perceive things around us, to intake things through that specific lens with that specific focus. So that's going to obviously change our thought processes. Uh, our thought processes change our actions, which bring about change in how we not only perceive either others, but how we, through our interactions with others, are perceived by others, right? So the changing of our focus, our focus being our relationship with God, that uh, mended relationship, the, um, the, the closeness that we're able to face again, that uh, we're only able to do through the sacrifice uh, on the cross, through the blood of Christ, uh, we, as Jesus himself says, uh, can be one with him as he is one with the Father. So we take 
that as the primary foundation and we move out from there. Last time we met, we talked about uh, how that affects our family relationships, right? So the people that we're either born into or adopted and the dynamics that are there, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the weird aunts or uncles or brothers or sisters that we just don't want to talk to because you know, there's a perception of, I don't know, weirdness or just, you know, you just don't want to talk to them. You know, maybe they gossip about you. Uh, maybe they've said nasty things. Maybe they've been abusive to you. All of these types of things. So we look through uh, what it looks like to continue to have relationship and want to have relationship based on your relationship with God first and foremost, not on how they interact with you. So we move beyond the family today, and we look to, um, you know, basically our acquaintances. We look at uh, those people that we would call friends. Not only that, we look at people that we would call enemies. Um, in fact, I would like to focus primarily on those that we would call enemies, because I believe if we look through the passages that describe how we should be treating enemies based on God's word, the, the words of Christ himself, it informs even how we treat our friends. So that's where I'm going to focus today. Uh, and I think that it's a good place to start for us because um, quite honestly, we, though we seek out relationship, we end up in a bunch of relationships that to us or to the world even may seem as to be just a happenstance, right? Um, I, I didn't seek out anybody that I currently work with to be my friend. I didn't seek out uh, to, to, you know, go have coffee with them, to, you know, talk shop with them. I didn't choose any of them. Um, but God reasoned for those relationships to be there for a purpose. He didn't just say, well, you know, I'll set this spinning and wherever you go, it's just going to be whatever. There is a reason and a purpose for each step that I've been taken through. Each path that's been set before me, there, there's a, a logic to it that just is just unfathomable. Because of my relationships with the people at work, uh, this church in and of itself has grown. Not because I set out to make everyone come to this church. That's it's just the way God designed it. So since we can clearly see that our paths are not merely just a happenstance thing, that it's God's uh, selection and direction, and we know that God is a relational God, we find ourselves placed in those relationships with people that we would never have known. If we were left to our own devices, if we uh, were making our own decisions, only looking for commonalities, we would never be in relationship with some of these people that we're put into relationship with. And that's just work. What about those who aren't yet in the job place? What about, I don't know, going to school, right? Uh, elementary school, middle school, uh, that type of thing. What about, um, yeah, you know, what about the community centers? What about all the different places? What about just the neighborhood that you live in? If you have a relationship with those people that are around you, and the question really is, are you actually, actually being that reflection of God that you're supposed to be in relationship to those people? 
how do those people look at you? You see, um, the, the problem is, is we, we delude ourselves to thinking that, you know, we don't need to be uh, a reflection of God to our neighbors, right? Because we're home, and home is our safe place, so we can let down our guard, and we can turn, turn it off and just relax. And we don't need to talk to our neighbors. I can go to work, and, you know, as a Christian, um, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about religion at work, so therefore, I, you know, I'll just talk about sports and, you know, talk about politics. Oh, no, can't talk about politics. For me, fortunately, it's safe to talk about taxes. So, you know, I've got that going for me. But nobody wants to talk about taxes. I don't know. It's weird. So we're, we're deluding ourselves because we forget that our relationship with these people is not merely just a work relationship, a school relationship, yada, yada, whatever social construct that you want to add to it. It's not just happenstance. There is a purpose and a reason for us to cross paths with these people. There is a purpose and a reason, and we should take every interaction as an opportunity to show God's love and to spread the gospel. Well, we can try to work through that, but there's just some people that just, oh, they just get on your nerves. They just, no matter what type of interaction, you try to be friendly and all you get back is hatred in return. You, you try to, to put forth a, a consistent and honest behavior. Um, you make mistakes, you're human, right? But you own up to those. You try to do your best and no matter what you try to do, they want to deny relationship in one way or another. We have a requirement, a mandate, as it were, to go out and make disciples of all men. Does it say, go out and make disciples of the men that don't hate you? You notice how we always have these little qualifiers that we like to... I don't think anybody said, well, you know what, I want to make them a disciple, but I hate them. So I'm not going to do it. I don't think we've logically thought through that process, don't get me wrong. We don't say a lot of those things out and out, but it's by our actions that our true thoughts are let, let free. And making disciples, obviously, is not just, uh, well, you know, I hate them, I don't want to talk to them, I'm going to throw a, tam a pamphlet. There you go. There's a pamphlet. Have a nice one. Read it. I'm, I'm sure it's good for you. That's not making a disciple. That's not proper evangelism, right? Uh, Proper evangelism means that there is going to be an opportunity for relationship. And that relationship may not always be what you set out for it to be. Sometimes you're going to get somebody who is oppo at opposition with you. We often call those people enemies. Um, so I want to go back and I want to look at a passage that we actually looked at a couple weeks ago. It's in Luke, uh, Luke 6, in fact, verses 27 through uh, 36. So Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 27, and I'll just go ahead and read here. It says, but to you who are willing to listen. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a second. See, this is, this is a message for everybody, right? 
But Christ specifically says, for you who are willing to listen. So this indicates that there are going to be people, first and foremost, before we get started reading the rest of it, there's going to be people that say to themselves, I don't want to hear that. And why is it that they don't want to hear that? Well, because it's not coming from a perspective that they're willing to embrace. It's not coming from the worldly perspective that they become used to, right? We talked about through our growth cycle, we develop relationships and thought processes and, and ways to cope with the situations that we find ourselves in. Um, but we also talked about the fact that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are created anew. We are no longer that old person. We have now an opportunity for growth, and we need to unlearn the way that we've coped with stuff in the past and relearn the way that we should be approaching things. So Christ says here, to all you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Be good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those that love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for even sinners do that much? And if you lend money only to those that can repay you, why should you get credit for even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. See, now, this is a little bit different than what the world would tell us, right? What does the world tell the, the world sticks on, uh, well, even to continue in the biblical, biblical sense, right, the world sticks to that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? What you've done to me, ooh, I'm going to get you back. And, in fact, I would say that it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. Not only do we have that desire to get people back, but we have the desire to do more to them, to prove that, they can't mess with us. So whatever you do to me, I'm going to do double to you. Because I'm my own man. You can't, oh, don't tread on me, right? Especially here in America, we have these rights, and we like to hold on to those rights, and those rights become our identity. And if we have the slightest bit of pushback on anything that we consider a right... Our freedoms are being taken away. I'm being oppressed. And the natural reaction is for you to speak out against that. And now we have social media, so you speak out against it on social media, and now you have thousands of voices 
that are swayed by your bias into believing the same type of thing. And now you have even more power for your controlling a mass amount instead of just yourself. This is the way that the world operates. And I think uh, you can look over the events of the past month and you can see that this is true to this day. So what are we supposed to do? In a world where you can be canceled, right, because you said something that someone chose to take offense of, even if it's not something that you recently said, you said it 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, you're going to be canceled. There's no allowance for any type of growth. There's no allowance for the fact that you may have changed your opinion. See, this is one of the dangers of everybody having a little camera available to them. Everybody thinking that they need to post everything on their profile. Well, I need to have my online presence so that I'm known. This is the problem with having that, that pride in yourselves that just, you know, every little meal that you, that you eat is a, a work of art that you need to share with the whole world. We become a group that wants to give voice to everything, whether or not we're actually qualified to give voice. We've become people who want to extrapolate from one little offense. One thing that we've chosen to be offended by and make everybody offended by the exact same thing. And if you don't agree with me, well, you hate me. We live in a world where people are afraid to put their foot down and say anything, to stand firm because... They're afraid of the backlash. They're afraid that they're going to get hurt themselves. We live in a world where you are afraid to really invest in relationship because if you say the wrong thing, suddenly that friend is no longer your friend. You dared to say an opinion different to theirs and now... They want nothing to do with you. See, this is an outcropping of the continued process that humanity is on. This process that says, there is something I don't like. There is something that happened to me. There is this focal point right here that changed everything in my life. So I must do everything I can to distance myself from it. No, 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 I can't deal with it. I can't approach it and face it. I can't recognize it. I must pretend like it never happened. But in that pretending like it never happened, we let it affect every single aspect of our lives. Because it's not dealt with properly, it changes how we operate with everybody around us. It becomes more powerful when we try to forget that it occurred. It needs to be properly dealt with. So the question that we come to is when we encounter people that disagree with us, when we encounter people that would, uh, you know, 
disrespect us, uh, when they don't agree with us, when they throw hate in our face, uh, how is it that we're supposed to operate? I mean, quite honestly, if you, well, even now, I mean, you say to me, uh, well, you're supposed to love your enemies. My question uh, is, honestly, do I have any enemies? I mean, it's really easy to identify enemies when, say, you're at war, right? Uh, they're the ones on the other side of the battle lines, right? Those are the enemies. Um, do you have enemies in your day-to-day -day life? About a year ago, I was talking to my manager at work. And I don't know exactly how the conversation steered this way. It was just like a monthly check-in, you know, type of thing. Oh, hey, you know, how's it going? What have you been doing? Blah, blah, blah. Somehow it came to, I don't know, a reputation, I guess. Um, you know, the overall way that, that people feel about you in the office and that type of thing. And I stared at him straight in the eyes, and I said with no smirk, with no uh, irony or anything, I because I truly believe it, I said, I'm liked by at least 85% of the people here. And that, that's not being generous. At least 85% of people like me here. And I was serious then. I, I struggled not to even go higher, but I didn't want to seem too bold. But he laughed at me. And though I can't remember anything else from the conversation, I remember that point. Because his response to me and his laughter was, well, now I'm left wondering if I'm in that 15%. That 15% that doesn't like me. I didn't know how to take it then, and I'm not sure I understand how to take it now. Every single meeting I had with him from that point on, he asked me if that 85% was still going strong. It was definitely a sticking point for him. But i got to be honest with you. I don't see enemies at my office. I don't see people that openly hate me at my office. I don't see people that work openly against me. I see people that, you know, sometimes disagree with me. I don't necessarily consider them enemies. You see, that when we talk about enemies, if we don't have a clear definition of what that is, we go through life thinking, oh, well, we don't have any enemies. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it kind of throws our perspective off. If enemies are not clearly defined for us, how is it that we know, you know how specifically we are to treat them? Well, fortunately for us, it's quite easy. Because um, it says right here in, in the passage that we just read, right, uh, that enemies would be those that hate you, who curse you, um, who slap you on the cheek. I want to be, be clear. This is not necessarily literally someone slapping you on the cheek. Uh, think more of the, uh, the trope, right, with the, the white glove, you know, smacking you on the, the side of the cheek with an with a unhanded glove, challenging you to a duel, as it were. Uh, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. 
Uh, think more about uh, the fact that this was written to the Israelites who were under the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire. It would be nothing for a soldier to come through and demand the cloak of somebody um, who was standing even off the road. Uh, give to anyone that asks, and when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. So uh, people who take things from you, who are rude to you, let's just go even as far as to say those that would abuse you. There's varying degrees of these types of things. But regardless of that, we are called to be invested in these people's lives relationally. And believe it or not, you do have people that hate you. You have people that hate you for the mere fact that you claim yourselves to be a Christian. They hate that aspect because, well, you know, I just can't get behind these hypocrites. I can't get behind giving up my own personal freedoms, or I can't get behind people who just give themselves an excuse for the things that they've done. We have enemies. I know that even I have enemies. That's why I didn't say 100% of the people in the office like me. I know that there are people that work against me, and I know that there are people that, uh, well, quite frankly, if it wasn't for the fact that they work with me, they would have nothing to do with me. And I know that I have a responsibility to them. And I know that there are some that I have created that type of relationship with. Say, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, they don't necessarily oppose me on their own merit. Something I've done has specifically caused that to happen. Um, I've been with... Uh, you know, with my current work with the Internal Revenue Service for almost 15 years now. And during those 15 years, I have probably upset quite a few people. Um, I, I know this is going to be hard for you to take, but sometimes I can come across as a little arrogant. Sometimes I have an issue with people who I deem stupid. It's not that they're stupid, it's just that they're not understanding what I'm explaining the way that I'm explaining it. And, you know, they just don't get it no matter how I seem to explain it. And that gets me aggravated. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that gets me angry. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. And so in my response, in my anger, in my arrogance, in my pride, I have often responded from that place. I have responded as the old version of James instead of the new version of James, the creature that I was created anew to be. So now there's hatred there. And that's not their fault that it was created. It's my fault that it was created. So I have a responsibility there as well. Those who oppose me, those that would seek to do me harm, I have a responsibility to not hate them back. I have a responsibility for those that I have created a hateful relationship to ask for their forgiveness for that. 
I have a responsibility to treat those who hate me in very specific ways. What are those ways? Well, I'm to love them. I'm to do good to them. I'm to bless them. I'm to pray for them. Now, notice I put an emphasis on for them. I'm not to pray against them. Oh, Lord, it'd be so great if they stumbled and fell down those stairs right now. Amen. Oh, Lord, I, oh, just, I pray that that guy gets pulled over because he cut me off. I hope he gets what's coming to him. We are to pray for people, not against them. Now, this isn't just something that I picked, you know, obviously a random passage. This is backed up several different places. This is the basis of relationship, right? This is backed up here in Luke. It's also backed up in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, it says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? For even the corrupt tax collectors, <clears throat> tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? For even the pagans do this. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You can see this also backed up in the Old Testament. In fact, there's Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22. Proverbs 25, verse 21 says, If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. And 22 says, You will heap burning coals of shame on their head, and the Lord will reward you. This doesn't mean that you do these nice things because it will actually punish them. It means that they will feel remorse for the way that they are treating you. They will be ashamed because though they came at you with hate, you came at them with the love of God. And they will have nothing that they can say against you. See, in everything that we do, we have to remember first and foremost who we are in our relationship with God. Uh, look, if you will, in Romans, Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 6, says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies 
we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. You must remember that we were created as a whole being, but we were born into sin. We were born into a broken relationship with God. We were sinners. Now we are sinners saved by grace. As sinners, we were enemies of God. But God didn't say, I don't want anything to do with them. I hate them. He said, I love them so much, I'm going to send my son as sacrifice so I can repair the relationship with them. So while we were enemies, God pursued relationship with us. Do we not then have the same call to pursue relationship with those that we would call enemies ourselves? If we are truly to be one with Christ as he is one with his Father, as it says in John 17, how could we lie to ourselves and say otherwise? We must pursue a healthy relationship and... As is shown by example by God himself, we must be willing to sacrifice. That's hard. That's not what we understood when we grew up. We live in a world that teaches us that revenge is a dessert that's best served cold. You know what that means? It means that though someone has slighted you, you don't get back into them until later. That's what the world tells us we should be doing. But God says, I'm going to sacrifice for them. His revenge is saving them, redeeming them, literally dying and shedding blood for Him. The ultimate goal here is reconciliation ultimate goal is relationship. Relationship with those that hate us for our sake. Relationship with those that hate us for his sake. Because we have the ultimate responsibility to reflect God in all of our interactions. We have a responsibility, all of us, without exception, to show that God loved us anyways, while we were enemies, while we were sinners. In fact, every single thing that Jesus commanded in today's gospel passage, he did on our behalf. When evildoers falsely accused Jesus and sentenced him to death, he did not resist. When soldiers blindfold him and struck him in the cheek, he simply turned the other cheek again and again. When they took his coat from him, and clothed them with a purple coat, and then took that away too. He did not ask for those back. Jesus walked the extra mile all the way to Calvary, where he gave his all. And still, in that moment, we see in Luke 23, verse 34, that he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The truth is we must remember this. We must act accordingly. 
And now, not to transition badly, but I want you to think about your friends in that same vein. Think about your friends. Do these passages that we've just read inform us in any way about how we are to invest in our friends? The expectation that I get is that I would at least be doing these same type of things for my friends, right? So I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to do good for them. I'm to bless them. I am to pray for them. See, it's... uh, It's imperative, in fact, that I do these things with my friends. It's tempting to want to keep your friends at all costs. It's tempting to want to avoid certain topics of discussion. But think about this. Though it's tempting to try to keep things comfortable with people that you call your friends. Are you actually being selfish in that? Are you allowing fear to inform you? Are you being prevented by your own pride? The want of that relationship, above all else, to avoid planting the seed that the Spirit may grow. Do you avoid talking religion with your friends? Well, it just... Just... Yeah, it creates this whole thing. Let me tell you people, we don't have a religion. We have a, we have a lifestyle. We have a life. We have a relationship with our Lord and Savior. How selfish of us to keep that from our friends. We should be showing our friends that we truly love them by sharing the hope that we have in words and in action. Not shying away from those types of things for fear that they may not want to be our friends anymore. Now this is not saying that you should go up to them and start beating them with the Bible. This doesn't mean that you should suddenly start peppering your language with, uh, well, hallelujah and praise the Lord and just because, you know, things seem to go your way. This means that you have a true, honest relationship with them and you share from the bottom of your heart what that true, honest relationship looks like. And because of the way that you interact with them, they can tell right away that there is something different about you. Because of the words that you speak, because of the standard that is set and maintained, they can see that there is something special about you. And that is when we're specifically told to be ready to explain that hope that we have. We are commanded in John 15, starting in verse 12, This is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit 
so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my commandment, that you love each other. Jesus says to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. It's a great command, and we've been given an example of what it actually looks like for that to take place. So my questions, of course, would be, who really is your enemy? Who is really your friend? Should you be investing in any less in one or the other? How should you spend your time, your talents, your blessings? And I think you'll know how to answer all of those questions. We have a responsibility in all of those to act as Christians. A definition that actually means something. Not just fake clothes that we put on for Sunday. Now with that understanding, we can go forward and we can separate into our separate groups for discussion and we can answer these three questions. So questions for our cell groups. What tactics have you taken to reach out to those that hate you? What tactics have you taken to reach out to those that hate you? The second question is, who do you hate? And what do you intend to do about that now? Who do you hate and what do you intend to do about that now? And then thirdly, what have you left out of your relationship with your friends? Have you been hiding things in your friendship with, with people? Have you been avoiding things? Not discussing. This is an opportunity to admit those things and to bring those forward and to discuss on them. So what have you left out of your relationship with your friends? Let's go ahead and take opportunity to go do that now as we close our service.